one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay him, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kirsten. Well, good morning, everyone. As they said, my name is Mike. I am pastor of spiritual formation here at City Church. And every once in a while, I get to preach, even though I think I'll be preaching three out of the next four. So hold tight. (laughs) Um, and come back, please. Um, yeah, you, you ever just have a tough week? You know, this week for me has been, I, I didn't realize it going into the week, but just emotionally, a really tough week. Um, yeah, so my, after reflecting, after the hard week of reflecting, my father died. I mean, my, my father who's dead, he di- his birthday was May 1st. And I've been, I always, this time of year, think about him and, you know, my relationship with him was abusive, and there's a lot of bad stuff there, but I love the man, and there was a lot of good things there, too, and so it's always a wrestling match. Also, I've reached out to my mom, who I've only seen maybe once in 25 years. I've reached out to her two months ago, and little, you know, she's not really talking to me. Mother's Day was this last couple of weeks, feeling that, but not really registering for me that I'm feeling that, but just a few passing thoughts, you know, financial things. Things in marriage, family, and life, school next year with kids, all this kind of going on. Well, this week I'm, I'm preparing, and I'm in this just really hard space, to be honest. And I'm in my office, and Wednesday comes, and my daughter, who almost never comes to my office, is there. And she comes in, and I turn around, and I make eye contact with her. Oh, hey, Avery. And I turn back. And then she starts talking, and she talks about something. And I'm like, Avery, I don't have time right now, babe. i got to do this. Silence. Then the door shuts and she leaves, and I hear doo, doo, doo. And I was like, "Gosh, I didn't even look at her," <laughs> you know. Like, and I just kept going. Right. Um, later on, I got home after definitely reflecting, spending some time with the Lord, and just like, "Abram, I'm sorry." She forgave me for not seeing her. But then yesterday, 
or two days ago, it was really, it was my Sabbath. I wanted to sleep. I was, you know, going, things were going on. Jen comes to me and she goes, hey, um, Anna Barber asked if you would go down and pray for Kenny. Now, Kenny's a man that lives on our street and he's dying of cancer. And they brought him home. There's nothing else they can do. He's going to die in the next few days, most likely. Here's what I said. Why? Did they ask? And Jen is almost like I punched her. What do you mean? She goes, no, no, Anna, I mean, you're the pastor. Miss Gloria comes here. Anna really wants him to come to Christ before, if, if at all possible. And then it's like, oh. you know, and guys, it was one of those weeks where I'm, I'm so self-concerned. I'm, I'm tired. There's a lot on me. I just don't see people from the people in my home to the people dying on my street. That's the kind of week I have, you know? And that's, that's, that's the heart I brought into it. And as I look back at the week, I struggle to see Jesus. I struggle to take his kindness and put it onto my heart. And therefore, I struggled to see people. If you've been coming for a while, we've been in since mid-February this, this series on the portrait of Jesus. We've been painting this picture of him, hopefully to get a better view of who is he? What's he like? How do we follow him? And then based on what we're learning of him, what does it say about us? Right? What does it say about us as we follow him, what that's like, and then informs who we are? And as we bring this series to a close this week and next, you know, we, I, want you, I want our posture to kind of change here. Because our passage is about the kindness of Jesus. And yes, we're gonna, we, we get to see this, a greater picture of his kindness. But in our passage especially, we see two approaches to Jesus. We see peop, two people who, who's, who really want to be near Jesus. They sincerely want to talk to him and to be around him. It's sincere, both Simon and the woman. And in it, although sincere, although listening to his teaching, although you know, they believe he is significant, although both take major risk to be in his presence, they have a very different, different um, experience of him in his presence. One... The one who invited him, he remains constant, emotionless, unaffected, selfish, and self-focused. The woman is completely undone, receiving his kindness, pouring out gratitude. And, and, and friends, already this morning, hopefully, our prayer every week is that you would come here, and this just wouldn't be another Sunday, that these walls, hey, I'm going to church. First of all, we are the church. We are his church as his people. The church has come together. Right, But that you wouldn't come here just because this is what we do. But that you would come here and to encounter him. And as you come to his table, already our hearts are moving one way or the other. Are we more like the woman? Or are we more like the man? Are, are, we distanced? are we distanced in our approach? Are we willing to take that risk and move further towards him? Is there intimacy? Is there relationship? It's already happening, right? And our hope this morning is that we would be able to all come in and encounter him like this woman, to be undone by him and to have an experience of him that would lead to love and and pouring out of our hearts as we leave this place and go. And so we're going to look at our text. We're going to lean in. And I'm going to look at it in a few ways. The the first way I'm going to look at it is I just want to walk through it a little bit, just kind of tell you what's going on. I know it's very familiar to a lot, but maybe to some of you it's not. So I'm just going to walk through it. 
And then we're going to look at Simon's approach, and then we're going to look at the woman's approach, and then we're going to look at Jesus' response to those approach. What is his approach back to them? So let's, let, let's just dive in and look at it. First of all, Simon. Um, and just so you know, Simon is a Pharisee. And for many of us, Pharisees have been given a bad light. They're actually pretty good guys. They're good. I mean, they're, if they were here, if there was a Pharisee in this room, you would like him. He's a nice guy. He's a good guy, in fact. A lot of them really gave their lives away. I actually love, have you seen uh, the show The Chosen? It, it's a really good depiction of, of stories of the Bible. It's you know kind of historical fiction in some ways, but there is some beautiful pictures the way it displays. And, and you, you know, it, it really helps you see Pharisees in a little different light. It helps you see, that yeah, there's some good guys here. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot here for us. Um, but so he invites Jesus to a meal, which is incredibly risky. Jesus is already controversial. He's already disrupting. He's already, the religious folks are always like, whoa, whoa, he needs to slow down. Why are you doing that on the Sabbath? Our, our rules, our laws say different. He's challenging things already. And so it's pretty risky for him because when you invite someone to dinner, you invite them into relationship. This is a hospitality culture. To invite him over means, hey, I want to be near this person. So, yes, he's taking a risk being in the presence of Jesus. Absolutely. So, again, hospitality culture, it's an open door. Why, why is it not strange that this woman's here? It's because in the hospitality culture, people can come in and listen to the dialogue. They can listen to the people talk as they go. And, and even in a hospitality culture, no one is left poor. So when food, when they're finished eating, the poor can come and even take the rest of the food on the table. Because we, we don't want to leave anybody poor in our community is what Jewish uh, Judaism thought, or taught. And so that's, that's what's happening. With, that's who Simon is. That's who's at the table here with Jesus. The woman, again, not easily noticed, she comes in and she's a woman of the city, the text says. That means she's a prostitute. It means she sells her body for income, Right? She comes in, and something she has, we know, is premeditated. She has this vial, this vial of perfume. And she brings it to him. It's alabaster jars, very expensive, very expensive for her, to, to especially him. And, and, but yet then something happens that's not premeditated. Some, something overcomes her. She gets so overwhelmed that she begins crying. And, and tears, as you see, as she's standing there, the text slows way down. And, and just in, in, in general, when you're reading the Bible, always notice when it slows down. It's going super fast, and in 38, it slows. She's standing there. She begins to cry. Tears fall on his feet. And overwhelmed, she falls and uses her hair, cleans them. And so, you know, there's no towel, so she's using her hair. And guys, let me, let me just tell you, this is so provocative. You know, in, in these times, women would wear a headdress. They wouldn't even show their face as much like many of you, not showing your face. Right? This, I want to be careful, but this is almost like seeing her breast in public. That's how provocative this is. Very, very, it's just a big no-no for her to pull her hair out and to show her face and to touch a rabbi in this way. Very provocative. So we, we got to set the scene. i got to be honest with you about what's happening here. Right? So that's happening. Um, three things Simon doesn't do. First of all, no water for his feet. Doesn't wash his feet or his hands. She uses, you know, Luke shows us that she uses her tears in her hair. There's no kiss of greeting. It's customary. You know, it's an expression of respect, expect, respect and friendship. And, and he didn't anoint his head, which anointing the head is, is not required, but it's, it's just a special courtesy, right? Simon doesn't do any of those things. 
So both desire a relationship with Jesus, but they take different approaches to him, right? What's the difference in their approach? What can we learn from them? Let's look at Simon. Again, Simon desires relationship, but two indicators reveal Simon's approach. It's verse 39 and 43. 39 first. I just want to read you the part of it. It says, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself. I'm not going to read the rest of it, but he said to himself. How does someone say to himself? It means he didn't say it out loud, which if you stop for a moment, he said to himself. And then later on, Jesus responding to Simon, Jesus reads his brother's mind and this. We, we didn't even see it. You know, we just went, what? He, he is responding to something this man says in his head. Isn't that amazing to think what Jesus is doing there, how present he really is, and how much of a prophet he truly is to do that. Look at verse 43 now. It says, Simon answered, the one I suppose, I suppose, right? What, what, what do you hear in that? He says to himself, the one I suppose, this, this guy, big left frame, logically just thinking it out, right? He, he, he's, he's a thinker. He's intellectual, right? He's, he's calculated in how he's approaching Jesus. Again, left brain, that's where your logic, your language, linear thinking, cause and effect, right? Bam, bam. Um, and, and, and then further, if he knew who this woman was touching him, he, he's concerned with touching. He's concerned what's happening on the surface here. Simon is looking at Jesus, and he's starting with his word the way he thinks life is right, what ought to be, and he's taking that and measuring Jesus by it. Do you fit? All right, this is what I think is straight right here, right? Do you fit what I, what, what I think life's supposed to be about? What, what I've been taught life is about, do you fit that? That's his approach to him. Um, and obviously, if Jesus is the Messiah, he would know these things, and he wouldn't do these things. Right? He's making, the, he's having these thoughts. He's dissecting Jesus. He's, he's really, he's maneuvering, trying to understand based on what he thinks is true here. He is the starting place, and Jesus has to get in line with what his thoughts are of what the Messiah should be. You see, he has categories that Jesus must fit in. Simon is a religious man, and he desires truth. But truth for the Pharisees, instead of being something that came to serve the people the Jewish people, it became something that gave them a sense of power, prestige, and honor, and that they used to keep and use that power, right? His obedience has been a way of life. It's been a way of controlling. And if you further look at it, I believe if we begin to see this, how it works out in even our own lives, we would probably say today, Simon was a really nice guy. I don't know if you've ever looked up the difference between nice and kind. But there's a big difference in these two things. Simon was a nice guy. And nice people, they have a different starting place. The starting place is fear. There is something in me that I, there's a fear there. There's, I, I need a sense of who I am, right? All of us do. After Adam in the garden, we all, we need approval. We need a sense of we're okay, right? And, and then when we don't have it, there's a fear there now. I'm not okay. Something's wrong with me. I need approval. I need something to fix me. And when, and when Jesus is not that, something else needs to become that. It has to. It's how God makes us. And so we start with a place of fear. And now obedience. And now our approach to truth, our approach to Jesus, all become ways of filling that thing inside of us. They're all ways that we are trying to be okay, right? And, and again, none of us would say it that way. None of us would. 
we, we regularly don't even think about, oh, I, I don't feel fearful right now, right? And that's not what comes out of our mouths regularly. But there's a sense of, I need this to feel this way or to be this way. And it's a, a lot of our relationships, our jobs, and the way we relate, even our kids' obedience or lack thereof, all those things become chances to either take life from us or to give life. When my kids are doing okay, I'm doing okay. When they're doing bad, especially in front of you, uh, I can't take it, right? And that's why they sit on the front row away from all of you. <laughs> Just joking. Um, but, no, it's, it's, this, it's this way of... Um, you can even see it where when we move out and serve, when fear is our starting place, we, we need to go serve people. We need to love someone. You know, like I need to give you these flowers, Jen, my wife. Right? And, and what that means is I'm starting from a place of deficit. I'm starting from a place of emptiness. And me doing this for you is actually me feeling me. It's actually for me. Right? It's not for you. And that's Simon Stark. That's his approach. There's a place of fear. He, he can't have it right yet. He doesn't know the gospel yet. And so his starting place is to take Jesus and fit him into his criteria, to use Jesus to build his record. That's Simon's approach. And, and we have different, we, we do it in, in so many different ways, all of us, right? We're all guilty of it in different ways. You know, I was meeting with a guy a couple years ago. I was at this uh, retreat for this ministry, and Neil and I were, we're just caring for these people. And, and this man, I, I sat down with him and, and, you know, he's the nicest guy. I mean, just su- such a nice guy. We had a similar background, but just a really nice man. And then we start getting into his issues and his, his, his wife has pretty much left him, wants to divorce him. And he begins to tell me all these things. And, and then I stop and go, wait a second. The last 30 minutes of getting to know you, you're one of the most incredible guys. You're so nice. Like, you're kind. You know, you, to me, like, man, you got me water. You opened the door for me. How is all this true if this is who you are? And so as we, as we walked into it, I finally, I only had, a, a, you know, an hour and a half with him. I was like, dude, I got I to gotta cut to it. I got to be honest with you. I don't get how I've experienced you like this, and then all of this is true in your life. It can only mean, to, I, for me, I have to just stop and go, is this who you are? Is this really who you are? Or are you, are you trying to even fool me? A man you're coming to for help. Now, I just heard, met somebody the other day that knows him. He said it was one, I had no idea, promise you. Left there. We were with that group again two weeks ago. And this guy comes up to me and says, hey, this guy said that was one of the most important conversations he's ever had. I had no idea. But you know, what I did is I took a risk to see him. To push through the ways he's just a nice guy. And to, and to reveal, no, all of that is powerless. All of that won't give you the intimacy with her. It won't give you the, the goodness with your kids. No, it's a way for you to just take from people. And it hurts. And it's hard to see, but we all have ways of doing that. And that's Simon's approach to Jesus here. He's going to use Jesus to build his resume. That's, that's what we learn here. He's always calculating because... If, if you're building it, right, if you build, we call it your sense of righteousness, your sense of who you are. If you have to build it, guess what? You have to protect it. You have to always be looking at, no, no, don't, don't let them touch it. You know, oh, I got to make sure you know I did those things, right? Because I built this thing. And so it's this constant hamster wheel of just wearing ourselves out doing this. Always these things. Some of the symptoms of this heart, there's a rigidity. But there's a niceness. There's, there seems to be a goodness. 
distant relationally, though. Relationships, there's just a distance here, right? And, and there's this need for control. And I'm nice up to the point where you're going to cost me something. And, and if you get in the way, if you get in the way of that, I'm going to come at you, right? And so there's this undercurrent of anger, anxious, insecure, and, and especially when tough, hard relational dynamics are at play, I feel powerless. I don't know what to do with those. Spiritually, I don't know how to bring God into those things because you know why? God's at a distance in my life. He's at a safe distance like he is from Simon. He's across the table. Judgmental, critical, calculate. Like, good, you know, you can see well, though. Like, hey, man, I know what she struggles with, right? We, we all of those things. We get good at it. We get great at it, actually. Um, si- you know, it, it's so important to point out here, and I kind of hinted to it earlier. All of the three things Jesus mentions, Simon wasn't required to do. None of them are in the law. The washing, the, the anointing, and what was the last one? Um, what's that? The kiss. Yeah, none, none of those. There was all hospitable, just hospitable, just being kind, being a good man. None of them required. And, and that's where Jesus meets us. When, when a heart is grabbed, when it's, when it's undone by him, it, it's not what I have to do. It's how do I overflow into this? How do I care for that person in such a way to make them feel loved, accepted, and honored? How do I honor them, right? And, and by not doing those things, he is exposed. And we, we know that because Jesus is the one who exposes them. So now, what about the woman's approach? The woman's approach, she has a desire for relationship, just like Simon. But instead of fitting Jesus into her categories, instead of dissecting him, she is dissected by him. She is seen. Whereas he is impersonal and brings his mind, she gets personal and brings all of herself, her whole self. And how do we know this? How do we know this? The flask of perfume. In in that day, in her line of work, what would a perfume be for? Let me just tell you, it's her entire marketing strategy. How do you think she wins someone? Especially in a day when showers weren't something that were just normal, right? You know? Um, And the Sea of Galilee may be dirty. Who knows? But perfume is so important for her to walk by you. You know, I love that. When I walk by my wife and she smells so good, there's just something so wonderful about that. And it's so different than walking by me or one of my boys, just to be honest. You know, it's just just so sweet and wonderful. And it it draws me. And that was how she drew people. And she she comes in, something that costs her so much and, and would provide for her livelihood, And that's what she puts on Jesus' feet. She brings her whole self to him. Simon's approach is to add Jesus, to build his power. The woman brings all of her power and lays it at his feet. What's under her approach? If fear is under his, his, love is under hers. Love. Love is, is the starting place. There is a fullness in her that doesn't need these things to fill her up anymore. She can now give. So, remember, fear is an emptiness. I need to, to give to you to fill me. Now, this love is, there's a fullness now that comes and overflows out of me that I have resources for someone else. And so now she's standing there, and she she is overcome. Why is she crying? First of all, there's a brokenness. There, she is, there is a brokenness in her heart over her past and what she's done, for sure. But more than that, commentators point this out left and right, there is a that she is overwhelmed by how Jesus is treated. She knows something has happened, and we'll get to that in a moment, in her life, 
and she knows this man is to be honored, and she's sitting there seeing how he's treated, and she's overcome with emotion, overcome that the Son of Man has been treated this way. And, and again, the tears begin to flow. There's no towel. Okay, I'll use my hair, and I'm going to kiss his feet and anoint him and bring him the honor he deserves because something has impacted her and affected her. And um, if we begin now to, to talk about, we've been talking about the kindness. You know this sermon is about the kindness of Jesus. Yes, it's his kindness. But you see how the kindness works. Kindness has as its foundation two things. The first one's empathy. Empathy is to see someone and, and to be aware of what's going on in them. Right? To, to have a sense of, if I were in their shoes, I would feel this. You feel what they feel. Right? And then compassion You begin to feel emotionally that empathy leads to compassion. You feel here. And then kindness is the action of the overflow of those two things. Right? So, again, empathy and compassion are overflown in the action of kindness. That's what happens to this woman here. And so, let's look at Jesus. How does Jesus respond to these two approaches? What's his response to them? And whenever you hear, Simon, I have something to say to you, watch out. <laughs> There's something coming here. And this, what is said to him is really important. Let's read it, 40 to 43. And Jesus answering, remember, he's answering Simon's thoughts, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. This parable is even more important than we can imagine. And, and remember, parables do two things. They reveal and they also conceal at times. And, and so what is, what, what, what is Jesus doing? He's exercising immediacy here. He's going right after the heart of what's going on. And so how does he do it? What does is, what is she see that Simon doesn't? And it's this word debt. Right? The word debt is often used of sin in the Bible, if you didn't, if you didn't know. The debt would be like scales, right? I mean, be, there is a, or, or actually a better picture would be, um, well, no, that's fine. Debt would be, yeah, it's just, it illustrates the weight of sin. There is this, is it this big debt or this small debt, right? And that's what you kind of see in the parable here. And, you know, it's, it's what's often preached and thought about is we, we think, okay, Simon obviously is the 50 and she's the 500, right? Um, and, you know, but maybe it's like, oh, Simon doesn't see his as 500. That's what's often preached here. And I, I don't think that's the point of the text at all. I don't, I don't think we're supposed to get in to weighing our, our sin here. Um, because if you look at it, actually, it, Jesus is not saying Simon has no debt. It's often, again, preached. It's millions versus, you know, a few dollars. That's not it. It would be two months versus two years of wages is what we're talking about here. So Jesus is not saying Simon doesn't see his sin at all. Simon, again, he's a good guy. He knows he fails the Torah. And he doesn't obey completely. So what's the point? What's the point of this parable? And friends, here's the brilliance. It's in verse 42. Neither could pay the debt. That's the point of the parable. The point is not how much you owe. 
It's not, is it, do I owe 50 or do I owe 500? And that's what we get into all the time. Is it, you know, it wasn't my fault, it was your fault. Oh, no, okay, I did a little bit. It's just 50-50 back and forth, right? That We see it in marriage, we see it in friendships, we see it in how we treat one another. But no, Jesus is saying, no, no. The problem is, it doesn't matter how much you owe. You can't pay it. Nobody can pay it. No one. And that's the brilliance of what's going on here, is that this woman, because of her life, she is able to see there's no possible way ever. And for Simon, you know what the problem is? His goodness has gotten in the way. His morality, his obedience, all the things he does in the name of God have gotten in the way, and he can no longer see his true heart and his true need. You see it? And and friends, for us today, what gets in the way for you? Can you you see your need? Because we do have to see our need, because in seeing our need, we see the true cost. We see the cost that it takes to pay it, because here's the thing, their debts. Our sin has caused a debt, and if we don't pay it, guess who has to pay it? The moneylender. The one who gave us the money to start with says, I'm not going to make either one of you pay it. Think about that. At this table so far, don't you just don't like Simon? Like me, like Simon. Ugh, this guy, what is he doing, right? And then the woman, oh, we have so much compassion on her. Because, you know, we're kind of set up to do that in the text. But here, Jesus is saying, he's standing up. I'm going to pay both of them. I'll pay for you, Simon, and I'll pay for her. It's not one or the other. And, and, you know, it's, it's not this Christianity where we just go suffer as much as possible for the sake of the kingdom. That, this passage shows us, no, 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 that, that's not the call that he's saying here. No, I'm willing to pay both. And, and so what the, the picture, the light goes away from just our sin, and it just shines this great light on our great Savior and how kind he is and how good he is. And maybe you're wondering, where's the kindness in the passage? It's right here. He is kind to all. He says, I will pay that and I will pay this. Are you willing to come near me, to get near me and to ask for that, to see your need of me? Friends, this is the heart of the passage. It's the heart of our Heavenly Father. And Jesus, remember, empathy, compassion, kindness. Jesus, he sees us. He sees the weight of sin around us. He sees our struggle. And he has compassion. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to take you under my wings. How I long to bring you near me, like like a mother would her children. I want to bring you in, but you wouldn't have any of it. He longs to draw us near, to have compassion. And then the cross is the greatest work of kindness ever. It's where he pays the debt. He finishes it. It's his action towards us. And this parable is speaking to the heart of the Father that sent his Son in the absolute kindness to pay the debt that the religious, those, those close, and the irreligious, those far, the sinner, neither of them could pay. He says, I will do both. I will pay it all. That's how kind he is. That's how good he is. And so as, as, we're, as we're here, who are you? Who are you apart from your goodness? Who are you apart from, um, when you begin to see, like, and this is where we as a church in the South have to be careful. In the South, it's still beneficial to be a Christian. Like, I can go ahead, I can start naming schools you're allowed to go to that people outside of this church aren't allowed to if you're not a Christian, right? There, there, are, there are some of the best schools in this city. You have to be a Christian to get in them. It benefits you, right? There are benefits. Like, sometimes people find out I'm a pastor, they'll literally pay for my meal. 
you know? In Seattle, what? You're a what? There's, they still have those, you know? It's just different there. Right? But here, it benefits us so much. So when Christ doesn't benefit us, when it's not beneficial to be a Christian, who are you? What do you look like then? What does your character look like? Right? We have to ask that question. Jesus shows us here, and the woman shows us that as we see this debt that he's paid, it does overwhelm us with gratitude. It leads to this emotional response. Yes, friends, we should be crying over our sin. Do, do you have this logical left brain relationship with Jesus? Or is it, is it also the emotive parts, the places where you feel and you cry and you're sad or you're happy, you have joy? Is it either of those? Is it both of them? Or is our, is our relationship simply linear, cause and effect? You know, this passage confronts those places. And, and, you know, and I want to take us to this last verse, verse 47. You've you got to deal with it. Because can you bring 47 up? I think I put it up there, yeah. It says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Well, for he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now, this is really important, because a lot of people look at this and they go, wait, wait, wait. Since she did that, she's now forgiven. Now, that's, not, that's not what it means. It, it says, put it back up there, please. It says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for love has, the love she has shown today. This is what the Greek text shows us. The love she shows proves there's a forgiveness. It's perfect. It's past perfect tense. It's, it's past actions that has present implications, that have present implications. That's what the Greek text is. And it's, again, it's past perfect or perfect tense. It doesn't matter for you, but it's something that happened in the past that has present results. The text, the, the grammar shows us that. It's so much harder to read that. So she has been forgiven, and we know that by how much she loves you see, she in her, something has happened before this day that has, she has experienced with Jesus in this deep forgiveness. And she comes in and shows this great love. Those who've been forgiven much, love much. I always hear those who've been forgiven much, forgive much. No, those who've been forgiven much, they love they have something now to give others. They have something that can overflow out of them. And the starting place is no longer fear. It's love. There's a fullness. There's something there for others. So, this kindness. Did you know Scripture calls kindness a fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, 25 and 26. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know what fruits of the Spirit mean? We can't just start being kind. It's not possible. We will just be nice people. Nice people are there for themselves. I'm going to do all these things, but it's really for me. We can't unless he transforms us, unless we see him like she saw him, unless something in the past happens in us, we won't have that love for others right now. The Spirit has to produce that in us. And Romans 2, 4, I love it. It says, don't you know that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance? Think about it. If, of all the words you could have guessed there, don't you know that the love of God or the grace of God or the law of God, there are a lot of things we could have put there, but the one word he uses is his kindness. Do you, you see what root word's in there? Kin. Kind. Where we get this word from is, is how you treat somebody in your family. That's where the word comes from. And so now his kindness is, I'm going to treat you like a son and daughter. I'm going to treat you like one of mine because you are one of mine. 
That's what he says. And she got it. She saw it. In his distance, he couldn't see it. He, he did, Jesus didn't fit the mold for him. And so now, as my story at the beginning, all week, guys, I didn't see it. I didn't get it. I had a hard time receiving it. It's not all or nothing. It's something we grow in. It's something that, you know, the sermon I preached on grounded, being grounded a few weeks ago, being grounded in the gospel, like meaning that you're, you are grounded in how much he loves you and, and cares for you. Kindness is when you're in the box, when you're in that emotionally healthy place, kindness is what helps you see people. Kindness got you there. It's what gives you the healing and everything we need. And now my kid gets out of the box. My kids start struggling. They're emotionally all over the place. My wife is mad at me. All these things. I have kindness now. I have resources because of what's been given to me. I have something for them. It's, it's not just they're getting in my way anymore. It's more of something's happened in me. And now I can help bring about change in your life because my life has been transformed. Do you see it? That's what kindness is. It gives us resources for something else. And the beauty is that the, whether you've come in here owing 50 or 500 this morning, your God says, I want to free both of you. Are you willing to come to him? Are you, are you willing to, 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 in your distance, come close? Get near Jesus, this roaring lion who is very unsafe. He's very, you come near him, he's not going to be safe for you. He will absolutely transform you with his kindness. And so, uh, a few weeks ago, we had this meeting. I'll close with this. And it was about city kids, actually. And in our meeting, Jen and Jesse have been trying to get the pastors and the elders to see that we've had some struggles in city kids for years here. And we, they tell us, and we're like, oh, we just do this, this, and this, and it'll be fine. You know? And it just never works out that way. It just never changes. And so we had, like, four generations, but I don't know how you would say that correctly, four generations of city kids leaders in the room. And then it was Reed and me and... and some other people and elders and whatnot, and we were, we were there, and I'm just, without all the details, we got it. We, we saw, we haven't been loving our children well here. We haven't loved them well. You know, we've done some good things here, but there are ways we've missed our kids here. And as a church, we want to see that difference. So we left there. The next day, I'm with one of those elders, and we go, and we're, we're hanging out. And or actually, maybe that day, I forget, regardless but I'm with him, and he hears his wife's voice. And so we go over to his wife, and she's like, oh, how are y'all? How, how was the meeting? I was like, it was good. And this elder goes, it was so freaking hard. And I, I turn and look at him. He's like, you know what, babe, we, we haven't been loving our kids well, and me and you are the problem. And I, I'm literally floored by these words. Now, he was in the meeting, and I saw it too. He, he didn't just say, hey, we have a problem. He owned it. Guys, how can this woman, how can this man, how can they own it like that? They're no longer defined by their behavior. It's not something outside of them coming in and saying, I'm okay or I'm not okay. He can sit there and own it. And you should see what, what this man and woman are now doing on behalf of city kids. They're owning it. They're beginning to, to move into the hard places and have hard conversations and say, I haven't loved our children well. How do we do that well now? And it's beautiful to watch. And friends, we have a God that's like that. You aren't defined by what you do or don't do. You, it, it's not about being nice. He says, no, none of us can pay it, but I'll pay it for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Jesus, that you're kind, that you 
um, you have resources and the love of the Father that was poured into you that you now pour into us. I pray, Jesus, that we could see you this morning, maybe even in a new way, that we would see you kindly sitting there on our behalf, inviting us over. And I, and I do pray, Lord, that we'd be undone by our sin this morning. The weight that, that, and the cost that put you on that cross, Lord, that it would, it would grab us in a new way and fall fresh on us. And Spirit, give us conviction. Give us tears. Give us emotion to see what we've done and how we've lived and how we've missed you. And in and, and that, then how we miss our neighbor. Because, Lord, I see you connecting. That way we see you the way, is the way we see others. And so, Lord, please, this morning, do that. May we encounter you like this woman in a way that leads us out of here full of love to give to the world around us. We pray in your name. Amen.